Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. The 2018 NFL Draft has concluded, and the 49ers made all their picks. Looks like we got a lot to talk about. Zane Nackvi here with Al Sacco for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And Al, it was kind of an interesting draft, wasn't it? It was interesting and, and kind of strange for me. And, and that doesn't mean I didn't think it was a good draft or I thought they did bad. There were some players I loved, and I can't wait to see what the plans are for them. And, and look, it's all speculation at this point anyway until you see these guys hit the field. But there were also some moves that had me kind of wondering, what's the fit here? And, and what's the process here? And the thought yeah. process here, I should say. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, there were some needs that weren't addressed. I think everybody thought guard and edge would be addressed. And, and they weren't, and, and we'll discuss that. And, you know, listen, we're going to try to answer as many of these questions as we can. And we're going to be joined by our buddy, Dylan D. Simone of 4th and 9. He's going to help us break it down. And similar to what we did for our pre-draft show, our post-draft show, we're going to go through each of these picks, break down the player and what they mean for the 49ers. But before we do that, who better to ask about some of these picks than an NFL draft expert? So let's do that with Dane Brugler of NFLDraftScout.com. All right, our guest is the senior draft analyst for NFLDraftScout.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. He is Dane Brugler. Dane, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for being here. Really pumped to talk to you to break down some of these draft picks for the 49ers. And Dane, for me, this, this was a bit of a strange draft for San Francisco. And I don't think it was bad by any means, but definitely surprising. And to me, it started with the first pick. And it seemed for a while like they were going to go defense the weeks leading up, and, and then they go with tackle Mike McGlinchey out of Notre Dame. What were your thoughts on the pick, and, and what do you think McGlinchey is going to bring to the 49ers? Yeah, like you, I was a, a little bit surprised. Uh, we started to hear some chatter uh, leading up to the draft that that's the direction they could be headed um, you know, with a, with a possible trade uh, of Brown. And so that ended up what happened. But, yeah, for the longest time, I thought, okay, Minka Fitzpatrick is there. Maybe that's the direction they go. What about one of the linebackers? If Roquan Smith was still on the board, would they still have gone McGlinchey? Uh, you know, there's so many different scenarios, uh, but most of them, including defense. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think it may, many thought that if uh, maybe if Saquon Barkley fell, but then, you know, after free agency, that changed. And so, you know, Mike McGlinchey was never a popular name paired with with the Niners uh, in mock drafts, or even when you're even when you're doing a mock draft and you're going through scenarios, I don't think Mike McGlinchey was a name that you you know really gave much thought to. Uh, but he's a, he's a solid player, and in this draft, it's not it wasn't a tackle heavy draft, and so if you needed a tackle, you almost had to overdraft them uh, in in some cases around too early uh, just to make sure you got them because it's you know simple supply and demand. All 32 teams need tackle help. Uh, and the supply in this draft class just wasn't there. Uh, and so uh, Mike McGlinchey ends up being a top 10 pick, uh, played left tackle, played right tackle in college. Uh, I think he has the ability to, to play both at the next level. He might not ever be a pro bowler, but I think he's going to have a long career and be someone that you can rely on. And it seems like, at least in college, his run blocking was way ahead of his, his pass blocking. How do you see his pass protection developing? Do you think that could be an issue with him eventually moving to left tackle, or do you see him progressing there? 
No, you know, I think he doesn't have elite movement skills. You know, he's not this, uh, you know, nimble footed, uh, you know, freak of an athlete. That's just not who he is. Uh, but I think he has enough of the lateral, uh, athleticism that you need so he can carry rushers to the corner. Uh, he can keep them occupied so he can shut down the corner. Um, uh, you know, there, he had some trouble. There's no question at times with wide speed. You know, we saw it, uh, in the Georgia game. Uh, you know, we saw it at times against Miami. So it, there, were, there were times where he had some trouble holding up against really athletic pass rushers, and he's going to see plenty of those in the NFL. Uh, I think, you know, even though he's not the best athlete, he can improve uh, by just – a lot of it's just timing. Uh, you know, uh, you can use your – a lot of these tackles have the, have the length. A lot of them uh, have the technique. But if the timing's not right, the timing is really the most important thing. You know, there are tackles in the league with 33-inch arms – who uh, do a really great job because they understand the timing and the, and the rhythm of the dance and pass protection where guys with 34, 35 inch arms, uh, they're not as uh, good with that initial punch and able to slow down rushers just because the timing's off. So I think if he can speed up his timing uh, with this punch, with his hands, I think that will really help him into his pass sets. Hey, Dane Zane here. I actually kind of like the sound of that. Dane and Zane, huh? Looks like Al's out of luck here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, but I want to take it back one pick to the Roquan Smith pick. And it seemed like the Bears picking Roquan Smith set off this chain reaction with the 49ers taking McGlinchey and then the Raiders training out and Arizona training out for Rosen. Was Roquan Smith number one on the 49ers draft board from what you heard? You know, it seemed like they liked him a lot. I, you know, I, I don't know if he was number one uh, or how high he actually was, but it just it really seemed like they liked him a lot. And obviously with the Ruben Foster situation, um, everything that's transpired there, you thought that might have even helped Roquan's case uh, as being that pick. Uh, but a lot of teams loved Roquan. And in fact, I, I, don't, I haven't talked to a team that didn't like Roquan. And so I think that's where it gets a little murky. Uh, you know, we're talking about some of the, the really talented players in this draft. Um, and I thought Roquan had a chance to go six uh, to the Colts. I thought that was a, a possibility for him there. And then if he got past six, then Chicago at eight made a ton of sense. So there were definitely some landmines out there for Roquan to fall to nine. Um, but, you know, if he was there, I think he would have made this decision for the 49ers a lot tougher. Uh, yeah, I, I, you'll never really know. I mean, I'm sure they'll say that McGlinchey was their guy all along, but uh, it, it, I think it would have made for a tough decision because Roquan, I think, has a chance to be a difference maker on defense. And Dane, pass rush was probably the biggest need for San Francisco coming into this draft, and they didn't address it at all. Do you see that as being a product of a weak class, or do you think there were some guys on the edge who could have helped them in the second round, third round, fourth round, and so on? I, I, it was uh, not a great class, but it wasn't a bad class either at the pass rush position. I, that's all I heard was you know pass rush. That's what they really want. Um, you know, at one point, you know, we saw you know, Marcus Davenport being mocked to the 49ers. I know a lot of fans were thinking, oh, Harold Landry, if he's there. Uh, at number nine, that that would be great. Uh, and Harold Landry ends up going like 30 picks later. Um, so, you know, it's something that uh, obviously they didn't see the value of uh, a pass rusher in the top 10. If it wasn't Bradley Chubb, uh, they saw the value in the tackle. They probably saw value in other spots, uh, which is it's really interesting. And then you look in the second, third, fourth round. And like you said, they didn't address pass rusher at all. I, I mean, I, I think that there was a player or two or three or four that when they were on the clock in each of those rounds, you could have considered and they could have made, uh, you know, it would not have been 
you know, a crazy pick if they went with a pass rusher in each of those rounds. So I think that was probably the most surprising development of uh, the 49ers draft is they did not come away with a pass rusher, uh, either a guy in the early rounds that could step in right away or someone even they could develop later on. Now, the 49ers traded up in the second round, not to get a pass rusher, but to pick Dante Pettis, and that kind of took some people off guard. But he does seem like a Kyle Shanahan-type receiver. What kind of pro do you think Dante Pettis is going to be? Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think he's a, he's a Shanahan-type of receiver. Um, I, I think that Shanahan's going to do a great job. Uh, he's kind of scheming him open. Um, you know, Pettis, the big thing I worry about is just getting off press coverage, uh, really battling with the physical DBs he's going to see at the NFL level. That was my biggest issue with him. He's only about 185 pounds, 186 pounds. Not the biggest guy. Uh, I'm not going to say he's scrawny, but he doesn't have much muscle definition on him. That's just not the type of body uh, that he has. Uh, but he's just he's very smooth. He, he seems to gravitate towards space in his routes. Uh, and he does a really nice job of that. His field vision, his instincts are exceptional. I think that really shows, obviously, as a return man uh, with what he did uh, as uh, with his punt, uh, punt return production, setting an NCAA record with nine uh, over his career. He averaged almost 14 uh, yards per return as a punt returner. So I think that translates as a receiver, uh, not just with the ball in his hand, but when he's trying to find open space, he understands uh, what he needs to do to uncover uh, at the top of routes. Again, the biggest thing for me is just how you know, he, he plays with a lot of finesse to his game. Uh, can he have, does he, is he going to develop the necessary aggression at the top of routes to match what NFL DBs are going to throw at him? But I do think that he is a good fit for Kyle Shanahan in that offense. And so uh, if anyone's going to be able to maximize uh, you know, what he can do, I think Kyle Shanahan and his staff will be able to do that. And the 49ers kind of lack uh, red zone threat, or that's kind of what they were looking to get in this draft. Do you feel like Dante Pettis can, if he does add a little bit more bulk to his frame, do you think he could be a, a red zone threat for them? You know, I, I don't really see much of a red zone guy. Um, I think that he's, he's really good you know, at the top of routes. He can snap, you know, turn, show the quarterback his numbers, present himself as a target. Um, I think that he can do that really, you know, without, or without tipping the route. Uh, you know, he can he can sell DBs and create that instant uh, separation. So uh, on timing routes in the red zone, I, I think that's where he, what he can do and how he can be productive. Uh, but he's not this super athlete who uh, is going to you know overtake uh, DBs in terms of jump balls. He's not going to outmuscle DBs um, who are you know stay connected to him. Uh, but he has excellent hand, uh, hand-eye coordination, excellent focus. And so I think, you know, even on sideline throws, uh, you know, back shoulders, corner throws, I mean, he's going to be able to track that football right into his hands. So uh, with an accurate quarterback like Garoppolo, uh, that could be a nice match in, in the red zone. But even if he puts on some weight, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's going to outmuscle DBs, defenders. Uh, it's going to be more timing. That's what's going to make him effective uh, if he is effective in the red zone. And what do you feel about the, the 49ers' seventh-round wide receiver, James? He's a little guy from Middle Tennessee State. What do you feel about him and his role? Like you said, he's a, he's a little guy. Um, uh, 5'10", 183 pounds. Uh, yeah, the biggest thing with him is uh, how are they going to use him? You know, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, slip screens, bubble screens. Uh, he's also a guy that uh, was a, a return man uh, in college. Uh, they, they did whatever they could to get the ball in his hands, manufactured a lot of touches 
Uh, they'd even hand the ball off to him. Uh, he missed most of his uh, final year, his uh, redshirt junior year, with an injury. But his first two seasons, he had over 100 catches both years. Uh, I mean, he's just a guy that uh, they found ways to get him the ball. Uh, and then he was able to create after the catch. So, you know, he is smaller. Um, I, I think that his versatility is really the, the main selling point there. He lined up, I mean, you watched his tape, and it, it was, you had to pause the tape because you had to wait and see, okay, where is he? Because he was different, uh, lined up differently all over the formation every single play. Sometimes he's in the slot, sometimes in the backfield, sometimes he's out, out wide. So you had to kind of, you had to stop the tape, wait, trying to find his number, try to find the guy with the, with the white towel that's hanging off his left hip. Cause that, that, that's what he did. And so, you know, you had to really look for him cause they lined him up all over the offense. Um, and so you like that, uh, you like the creativity he showed with the ball in his hands, quick feet, toughness. Uh, he shows some run instincts. Uh, you just, you worry about, uh, he's obviously not the biggest guy and then he missed most of his final year with the injury. So I think the durability questions were there. You know, I see a, a speedy slot guy. Uh, he's going to help you on special teams. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's going to have to really carve out that special teams role if he's going to make sure and secure a roster spot. Dane, one of the picks that I really liked in the in the third round for them was was Fred Warner, the linebacker. And I felt he was really underrated coming into this draft. And, and he's a modern type linebacker where he's fast. He can play in coverage. Did you like that pick? And, and do you think Warner can be a starter in the league? Absolutely. Uh, I, I love the pick. Um, and I, I really thought that both of the third round picks uh, for the 49ers, uh, Warner and then Tavarius Moore, uh, they both signaled uh, how the 49ers want to get faster on defense. Because that's what both these guys offer, athleticism and speed. Fred Warner is, yeah, he's that modern type linebacker where at BYU, he never came off the field. He was a three down player and then he played special teams. Uh, he was a guy that was that overhang linebacker, uh, you know, would play the Sam where, you know, he'd cover slot receivers, cover the tight end, cover backs. Uh, and that's what really a specialty was in coverage, uh, the way he can unlock his hips and go. Uh, he's not the necessarily a great take on player. Uh, sometimes that he'd get lost in, in the crowd, doesn't have the point of attack power where he can easily work off blocks, flow to the ball. So uh, you know, his scraping skills, uh, being able to, uh, you know, detach from, from blockers. That's something that he needs to improve on, but you play him in space. That, that's why you, you drafted him so high, uh, because he's a guy that moves well, uh, and he's a bigger guy. I mean, he's six, three and a half, 236 pounds. So, and he, and he may, he moves really well. So he's going to play special team and he's a guy that I think can be uh, a coverage linebacker and all 32 teams are looking for cover linebackers. Uh, really like the instincts that he offers. So, uh, I think that was a really good get for them uh, in the third round. Now, Dane, one of the things that drove 49ers fans crazy in the past with Trambalki was his affinity to draft, uh, affinity for drafting ACL players. And mm. Contavious Street is another one of those guys. Obviously, Trambalki not being on the team anymore, it, it still kind of drives 49ers fans nuts just based off of the, the past. But I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on Street and what kind of pro he can be. Yeah, you know, disappointing injury, obviously. Uh, for those that don't know, he tore his ACL during a, a workout uh, just, uh, you know, within a month before the draft. A really unfortunate situation for him, uh, which really put his draft stock in limbo. Uh, I think if he was fully healthy, um, you know, you thought third, fourth round, and here he ends up still going in the fourth round, even with that ACL injury. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm guessing that it was a clean ACL tear. It wasn't anything where, uh, you know, teams had any worries about 
the long-term effects. Uh, so, uh, well, at least I hope so. You know, they, they hope they trust the medical staff that it was a, it, you know, a simple, uh, simple tear and the surgery went well and all that. Uh, but he's a guy that is basically a, well, first of all, he's a freak athlete. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to see him uh, do much at the combine because he had, he pulled, I believe it was a hammy or something. So we didn't get a chance to see him do a, a full workout, uh, but a really freak of an athlete at 6'2", 280 pounds. Uh, more of that base defensive end uh, than a pure edge rusher who's going to scream off the edge. But he does have some pass rush value. He played all, you know, it's tough to evaluate these NC State guys because they were all so talented on the defensive line. Uh, right. B.J. Hill, Justin Jones, Bradley Chubb. Obviously, Chubb went high in the top five, but Justin Jones, B.J. Hill, uh, they both, uh, I believe, went in the third round. So, uh, and, you know, here's Street in the fourth. So, you know, sometimes it was a little tough to evaluate these guys. And Street wasn't asked to just pin his ears back and go on every single snap. You know, there were a lot of times where he would kind of play contain, uh, you know, shut down the edge uh, and play the run. But he does have some athleticism to him. Uh, he moves well. He's strong at the point of attack. Uh, so I think he's going to be uh, just a safe player where he's going to be a valuable part of the rotation. Maybe not, you know, he might be a, a five sack a year player, uh, but he's going to be really reliable with what he does against the run. And just uh, and assuming he stays healthy, really reliable with what he does against the run and not making mistakes out there. It seems kind of like you just described Solomon Thomas, doesn't it? And it does. Yeah. No, I, you're not wrong. I mean, look at the body types too. Uh, you know, six, two and a half, 280 pounds. Um, you know, again, not the type of edge rusher is just going to scream off the edge, but he's going to win at the point of attack. Maybe you push, pick, uh, push him inside, uh, as like a more of a three technique, uh, in passing down to get another edge rusher on the field. No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, he's your, your fourth round version of Solomon Thomas. Do you make that pick at that point? Um, you know, it's, it's tough, but with the ACL, I don't know. I, I guess you just have to trust the, the medical staff. And as long as they say, Hey, it was a clean tear. The surgery went great. Um, you know, we don't think that there'll be any long-term effects. Um, I gave him a fourth round grade healthy. So mm-hmm. I don't think I would have drafted him in fourth round, just me personally. Um, but you know, I, he, he's, he's, a, he's a solid player. Again, he's, he's probably going to be four or five sacks a year and uh, just be a solid player for you. Uh, and so once you get on day three, you know, uh, that's when you kind of draft these guys and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they didn't think that he'd be around uh, in the fifth round when next time they were up. So a little bit of a surprise that he got drafted where he did, because, again, I had a fourth round grade on him when healthy, but he's mm-hmm. a solid player. Dane, overall, how did the 49ers do here in your estimation? Good, bad, average? I'd say slightly above average. Um, you know, I think they uh, drafting McGlinchey is not the sexiest move uh, in the top 10, but it's just a, it's a solid move. He's going to you know, be a reliable player. Again, might not make a Pro Bowl ever in his career, but he's going to be very reliable. He's not going to give up. You know, he might give up a couple sacks every year, but nothing that you're going to worry about or ever have to think that, okay, we got to worry about replacing him or anything like that. Uh, he's going to be solid. Uh, you know, Pettis was drafted a little higher than you know, I would have drafted him, but I think he went to a great spot with, uh, with Shanahan. Loved Fred Warner, and then I loved Tavarius Moore. Uh, Moore is a guy who is an elite athlete, and he's uh, kind of a late bloomer. Didn't have uh, or didn't get noticed out of high school, so he went the JUCO route. And then from there, went to Southern Miss, was a backup as a junior, got a chance to start as a free safety, as a senior, and put together a nice year. Uh, led the team passes defended and interceptions. 
and then had this remarkable pro day where he just uh, you know tested off the charts four three two the vertical the broad uh, everything was just was awesome and so I think that kind of pushed up his grade. I had a fourth round grade on him. I thought he'd go somewhere in the third and ended up he did uh, went what ninety five overall for the forty nine ers. So I think Moore is a, a guy that's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna start uh, from day one. He's not a guy as a rookie, but. Uh, you want to develop him, maybe you use him in the nickel, maybe you uh, see what he can do uh, as more of a cover man. Um, and then by year two, I, I think you feel comfortable with him uh, you know, pushing starters for uh, some more significant reps. So uh, I didn't love what the 49ers did, but I liked it. I thought they uh, did a nice job getting, getting players that uh, you project as uh, solid starters in this league. Dana, I can't begin to tell you how impressive it is that you know all this stuff it, just at the drop of a hat. It's amazing the work you guys put in yeah. and the job that you do. And, and this was a fantastic interview. Thanks so much for your time and good luck to you. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Dane. And thank you again to Dane Brugler for joining us. Uh, Al, we've got a lot of colleagues in this industry that that we go back and forth with on Twitter and message and text and stuff. And a lot of really talented people doing the same thing that we do that people should know about. And we have another one's people on today, don't we? Yeah. And I, I said, uh, starting off the last show, there, there's so many guys and I don't want to say small time, but you know, we're, we're not Matt Mayoko. We're not Matt Barrows. We're not Cam Inman. We're a little bit smaller time and they're doing such a great job. And we just want to have them on the show and talk Niners with them. And we, we built a good relationship with a lot of them. And one of them is our buddy Dylan DeSimone from fourth and nine. We are so excited to have him here to break down the draft with us. Dylan, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. Yeah, thank you, Al. Thank you, Zane. Uh, it's, it's good to be on here. Dylan, you've you got a lot going on with the site, and I, I know you have a podcast starting, too. Why don't you tell the listeners about your site and your podcast and, and what they can look out for from you? Yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of the, the whole idea of the website had started because, uh, you know, covering all sports, you kind of notice pretty quickly how short football season is relative to hockey and baseball and basketball. And, uh, you know, it's really kind of to kind of fill in the gaps year round. Um, you want to kind of talk more about the team building aspect, which I feel like football fans in particular kind of had that craving for uh, seeing the transition from college to the pros and, you know, just learning more. I feel like people have been more curious uh, about football as it gets bigger and bigger um, by the decade. So, um, you know, we kind of wanted to create like this little niche just around the Niners where, we kind of talked about, we had a platform where we could talk about football year-round um, from an educational standpoint and also just kind of, you know, really fill in the gaps and, and kind of provide a, uh, a kind of commentary that I didn't really see too much of um, leading up to now. And it's, it's been really great. And Dylan, before we get started about talking uh, about the draft, what were your general thoughts of what the 49ers did? Do you feel like they drafted like a team that was kind of right on the cusp of the playoffs, as many experts are predicting? No, no. I mean, I think they, you know, I think that almost would have been getting ahead of themselves because um, there's still there's still players from the past regime here. So I think that they were very in touch with the roster and uh, kind of the, you know, just adding continued like building blocks. Uh, they added with. Um, Shanahan's foundation in mind. They added with a lot of the current players in the roster in mind, uh, whether it was, you know, uh, Joe Staley or Pierre Garçon or Richard Sherman. I think that they found succession plans and, and plans for a lot of these guys. They 
set themselves up where they can kind of improve in a lot of areas. Um, I saw versatility from a lot of these players. I saw a lot of intriguing athleticism. Um, when you look at like the, the numbers on a lot of these guys, whether it was the safety, um, Tavares Moore, or if it was Contavious Street, um, they added like some, some really freaky guys, uh, which is going to be good. Uh, they added a hard hitting element, um, pretty much across the board in the, in the middle of the late rounds. Um, so I, I thought that it had a real identity. I know it was not always the, the splashy name or, or the player that, you know, we thought should go. But um, I thought it was an effective draft, and I, and I think that they had an effective draft last year, even though we didn't really see it until later in the season. But when the things started to fall into place, it all kind of made sense. Um, so I think that this draft can be similar. Um, you know, I think people were a little freaked out by uh, some of the injury picks, which is understandable given what uh, the past regime had done and, and kind of missed in that, that whole uh, – draft philosophy that they had kind of continued to execute on. But um, I think you got to give this this regime a clean slate. And I'm excited to see Street and um, and Harris and some of those guys. Yeah, so we'll get into this. But it's funny you talked about the draft making sense because I thought last year, the draft made a lot of sense to me last year and the picks that they made. I was like, okay, you know, I get that or I get where they're going. And this year, I just had to sit and digest a lot of this, you guys. Like... Again, not that I didn't like it, but just the picks would happen and I'd be like, wow, I didn't see that coming at all. And it was kind of crazy. And and it started, I did have an inkling that McGlinchey was coming um, because there had been some buzz about it early in the week. But still, there were defensive players on the board and I was like, wow, but this was their guy. And Dylan, kick us off, man. What what did you think of the McGlinchey pick and how do you see this fitting in for the team? Well, yeah, it was, I mean, I like the McGlinchey pick a lot. Um, you know, it was definitely... The only other player there, I mean, because Roquan was gone, Nelson was gone, Denzel Ward was gone. Um, it made sense. Um, I think people talking about Landry in the top 10, maybe that would have been a reach. I think the best player available, in my opinion, at the time was uh, Derwin James. And then Lynch had said later what a tough decision that was to, to pass on Derwin and then take on McGlinchey. But, I mean, it was a really, it was a really smart move. Um, and then, you know, you kind of saw that throughout the draft. Um, our perceived needs that, you know, the team had, which was, you know, edge, edge rusher and, 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 you know, cornerback, um, it was kind of upside down. We just didn't, they had needs internally and they just, the way the 49ers valued those things in-house versus the way that we perceived them from the outside were just totally different. You know, they had a need at tackle that was higher to them and more of a priority than anything else. Um, and nobody really talked about that. That just wasn't really, and we had plenty of time. It just, that wasn't a big discussion. You know, it was edge pretty much every day and which one were they going to take, but you know, they had, they had multiple chances to take Landry and, you know, whether it was the first round trading up into the first round, taking him in the second round. And that just wasn't the player for them. Um, and, you know, even Josh sweat, they passed on when they, uh, they took street. So, um, they value things differently. And then, you know, we saw that with, again, just to get back to tackle, Trent Brown. We didn't really know that that was as big of an issue for them as we thought. And had we known everything that we found out about Trent Brown, you know, we would have been talking about McGlinchey for months. So it all made sense kind of at the deadline. Um, but, yeah, that was just kind of my overall takeaway from the Niners and how this kind of how this draft went. 
Now, I, I really like the McGlinchey pick, and I wrote an article for 49ers Web Zone that I thought I thought it was a smart and forward-thinking selection, and it just made so much sense to me because, yeah, if you looked at their tackle situation, Staley's coming off a really strong year, but he's not getting any younger. I mean, he's going to be 34 years old, so even if they get another year year or two out of him at, at a high level, you know, that's all you could really ask for. And this regime was never sold on Trent Brown. As good of a pass blocker as he was, you know, he had conditioning issues. He had the shoulder issue. He's not a good run blocker. There was no way they were paying him. So when you look at it that way, it just makes a lot of sense because after 2018, tackle would have been a huge issue, a huge issue if they didn't address it right now. And you don't want tackle being an issue when you're trying to protect a franchise quarterback. So I totally understood what they were doing. I really liked the pick. He is the best. He is, was the best tackle in the draft. He's athletic. He fits what Shanahan's looking for, and I thought it was just a fantastic pick for them. Now, having said that, while there's going to be an upgrade, I think, with the run blocking, you're going to see the pass protection drop a little bit. There is no way, and it's not fair to ask McGlinchey to come in and be a top 10 pass protector already in the league. And that's what Trent Brown was. Now, Brown had his issues elsewhere, but he was a rock in pass protection. Can McGlinchey get there? Sure, he, he might be able to. You know, I'm not saying that he can't, but there will probably be some drop off there, but I do think overall he's a better fit for the system than Brown. And again, this is just a pick that is is going to help them next year and the year after, and, and they're not going to have to scramble next year because they brought this guy in now, Zane. I was at the 49ers draft party at uh, Pier 29 in the city at the time that McGlinchey was picked, and everybody was obviously waiting with bated breath about who the 49ers were going to pick. And once he got picked, the air kind of got sucked out of the building a little bit because it wasn't that like sexy pick that people were thinking of when, when they think of an impact sort of first round pick. And I, I tweeted at the time that it was a terrible pick not knowing what was going on with Trent Brown. Like I went home later on that night and I was just looking on Twitter, kind of still fuming about the pick and the Trent Brown news came out. Uh, via via WebZone, actually, we had, we had to quote it in a, a tweet and an article uh, regarding Brown's conditioning. And after that, it made total sense. Like this is the second year in a row Trent Brown came in out of shape into the offseason program, and I think that the the Forty ers just don't tolerate. They're they're not going to tolerate that sort of stuff. And it was a message to to the rest of the team as well that you you have to buy in, you have to be passionate about this team. You you have to be a football player twelve months out of the year, not just the time that you're you're in Santa Clara. So once that all kind of happened and the fallout from that happened, I, I actually really liked the pick. Uh, Al, I'm with you. I don't think they necessarily like got, got better or upgraded that position. I think that they just filled a hole that was going to be there once Trent Brown was inevitably going to be either traded or released in training camp. So the, the pick in itself, like we, I mean, I, we could spend the entire show talking about this one pig alone because it was so intriguing. But I think once Roquan Smith went off the board with the Bears at number eight, it set off this chain reaction. Like the Niners, all of a sudden, I, and and I'm pretty sure that Roquan Smith was on was on the board for the Niners and one of their top picks. But it set off this chain reaction where the Niners picked McGlinchey, Raiders traded out, Cardinals traded up for Rosen because the Raiders would have got McGlinchey had the Niners passed on him. It it kind of set off the the next probably like. I'd say eight to nine picks were all affected by that Roquan Smith pick. So I think that he was the high, next highest rated player on the board. I, I would have liked um, Derwin James or Micah Fitzpatrick, but I think that this is one of those things where you have a franchise quarterback and you're protecting your investment. 
And Dylan, you and I were going back and forth on Twitter about, about Denzel Ward. We never really got to see him go past the Browns at number four, which I think was a reach. But I mean, I, I just didn't get the need for like a slot cornerback at number, number nine. Yeah. Um, it, it was for the Niners. You mean, I mean, as far as taking Denzel Ward, if you were there. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's, it's understandable. I mean, I guess with Denzel Ward, it's he's somebody that could, and I actually liked him over Minka and, and Eric Crocker. And I had gone back and forth on this. Um, but I liked Ward because he could play inside, but he can also play outside, whether that was Stalin Sherman or Akella Weatherspoon. Um, and then also, you know, if, and, and, you know, when Sherman is done with the Niners, uh, whether it's in one year or three years, uh, Ward could be a, a full-time outside player, which I think he's more natural there than you might've seen Minka Fitzpatrick. I think a lot of Minka's best plays came in the slot and in the middle of the field, uh, like a safety and then also playing, uh, down in the box. Uh, Ward, I just thought was one of the far and away best cover corners in the draft. Um, which is kind of why I thought he would be there. But, yeah, I think he was like a, a third or fourth option for me after uh, Nelson and, and Roquan. And, um, yeah, I think he was probably third on my, I think he was third on my board. Yeah, it's just like the, the size thing. I know I know that, like, there's no requ- requirement for a, a corner to be six foot plus to play on the outside, but it seems like the 49ers gravitate more towards those guys. And I was kind of surprised that, that Ward got picked at four. I thought he would last a little bit longer, but with all of these guys going off the board early that were probably on the, the 49ers draft board, I feel like McGlinchey probably was the guy with the highest rated, uh, with, with the highest rating left. And, and in that sense, if they stuck to their board, they made the right pick. Oh yeah. And just to even add to what you guys were saying before, like it was going to be a hole. And uh, this is a, a position. I mean, they could go offensive tackle justifiably early in, in next year's draft or the year after that, because they're really going to need, you know, another tackle. I don't think it necessarily means that McGlinchey is going to be the heir to Staley. I don't think when Staley's done that McGlinchey 100% kicks over to the left side, he might stay at right tackle. Um, he could be a guard. I know he's 6'8", but, you know, he's, uh, you know, Boone played played a guard at that, that height. And, you know, once he got in his stance, uh, I mean, he was fine there. And I think that's probably where he'd be best suited. Um, on that right side still, right tackle. So, you know, again, it, it they almost went from perceivably needing no tackles to maybe needing uh, two real quality ones in, in these uh, upcoming seasons. And moving on to the second round, guys, if you told me the Niners were trading up into the second round, I would have said that a pass rusher had dropped or maybe they fell in love with Cortland Sutton or something like that. But yeah. Dante Pettis kind of came out of nowhere for me, Dylan. What did you think about that? Yeah, you know, it was... It was more uh, interesting and fun to find out than it was like anything to to react to just because it's like, okay, we get to find out. Because you knew this pick had Shanahan written all over it. You knew that this was his guy. And Lynch and Parag had, had, you know, orchestrated the, the, the trade to get up and get him. Um, so I thought it was just really kind of cool as we're learning more about what Shanahan likes. It makes a ton of sense. He's a really versatile guy. Um, he helps this team become more of a three-phase team. You know, they're going to help set up field position way more. I mean, that that's invaluable. I really think that's going to help the offense immensely week to week. He can, we know he can score. Um, if he happens to be the next, you know, great return man, that's also, you know, awesome. You know, a lot of people miss on their second round pick. Um, so even if he's just that, that that's great. But I, you know, I think he's got real potential to be 
a contributor on offense and maybe the heir to Pierre Garçon as a uh, as an outside receiver. That's a great point. I, th- I think he has to be the heir to Pierre Garçon when you, when you look at where they took him in this draft. I mean, they took him with a high draft pick. But it's funny to me that people critique this because who is really anybody to tell Kyle Shanahan who fits in his offense? Yeah. I mean, oh, he yeah. knows better than anybody, you know? And, and there was a lot of like, oh, they traded up for him. Listen, he could have traded up and drafted me. And I would have been like, okay, I'm, he knows what he's doing, <laughs> you know? Like, because he does. So when you look at receiver and quarterback with Shanahan, I'm not going to argue with it. And, you know, Pettis is, is fast and elusive. He, he's, he's a good route runner and, and he could line up all over the field. You know, I don't think they said on, on the, one of the draft broadcasts, oh, this guy is going to play in the slot. And I'm like, no, he's not. Like, he might for, some snaps, you know, he may line up there at some point, but I, I don't think ultimately that's where he's going to play. And you look at what he did in college, he scored 22 touchdowns over the last two seasons. And then he had that NCAA record on top of those 22 touchdowns with nine return touchdowns. So like you said, he's, he's a threat in multiple ways. Um, I think initially, you know, it's tough for rookie receivers to come in and make an impact. So he'll probably come yeah. in slowly, you know, he'll maybe 30, 40 catches in, in the first season. And, He'll make an impact on special teams for sure. But again, you don't trade up and take a wide receiver in the second if you want him to be a role player like Taylor Gabriel, which is another thing I saw that, oh yeah, he'll be Shanahan's Taylor Gabriel. And I'm like, no, he's not. Again, doesn't make sense. They drafted him in the second round to come in to eventually take over for Garcon and be a big part of this offense. And again, regardless of what you may think of it, you have to trust Kyle Shanahan in the situation. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think you have to trust him and Ask yourself why he made the pick. Why did he value this guy over, you know, some of the other names that were available? And um, so Pettis, Pettis is, a, is a really interesting pick. He's a great pick. Um, and, yeah, I, mean, he, I think he's going to be able to – they see him more as just kind of – I mean, they, they can ease him in now. There's not really a rush. Uh, they have a deep core. Um, but, you know, in a couple of years, you know, he's going to be able to learn from Garcon and some of these vets. And he could really be that number one guy. And then in a couple of years – you know, the second round pick looks well worth it. You know what excites me the most, guys, about Dante Pettis? It's that Kyle Shannon has never had a receiver like Dante Pettis in any anywhere he's been. Like, he hasn't had a guy that can be as elusive in short spaces, but also have that home run ability, but also run really crisp routes. Like, it feels like this was a Kyle Shanahan pick because he is a technician at that position. Like, he, he runs really crisp routes. He is able to again, get free in short spaces and he, he's super reliable. Like he, I believe he dropped less than 10 passes in his entire career in college. So the whole idea behind trading up to get your guy, if you get your guy and if this is the guy that you wanted all along, then, and he becomes really, really great, then I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, The 49ers suffered for years because they did not trade up to get Odell Beckham Jr. when they had a chance and they were considering it. So I'm not comparing Pettis to OBJ. I'm just saying that the same if the, the, the same situation arose, I would want them to go up and get their guy. And it looks like they did that with Dante Pettis. And if you've seen film of this guy, like for those of our listeners that haven't seen film of him, please go YouTube some Dante Pettis highlights. And this guy is absolutely electric with the ball in his that's hands. The, that's the thing. You know, people are wondering, oh, how are they going to fill Levi's? Like, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy that's going to, people are going to buy tickets to go see. I mean, he's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. This was a fun draft pick. I mean, probably of the entire class. I mean, this is probably the most exciting player you're going to go see. Absolutely. And to that point, I, I feel like what they're going to do is they're going to feature him. He won't just be a punt returner. You'll see him in, in multiple packages. You'll see him coming out of the backfield. You'll see him playing a lot of the same 
role that Marquise Goodwin, Goodwin played. Because guys, when you think about it, in the NFL, when you've got four wide receivers, that means that you can not, you can potentially match up Dante Pettis on the other team's fourth corner. And I will take that matchup every single time. 10 out of 10 times, he's, he's winning that matchup. So that in itself, plus the fact that it looks like overall they drafted a lot of quick sort of receivers and, and uh, the guys on the roster are currently Goodwin and Taylor and and uh, now Pettis obviously are, are super quick in short spaces. And that tells you that they're looking to have Jimmy Garoppolo get rid of the ball quickly. There's going to be a lot of short passes. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, out, out cuts and, and slants and, and passes over the middle that, that require Jimmy to get rid of the ball quickly. And I think that's probably going to be to his betterment because he's going to stay upright more. And they'd made, they, they drafted based off of that kind of, uh, offense are going to run, and in that sense, Dante Pettis fits perfectly. Like he's my favorite draft pick out of this entire class. Yeah, and yeah. somebody, somebody else who is going to be very exciting, I think, is Fred Warner, who they took in the third round. Versatile, athletic. Like I said earlier with Dane, he, he's just that modern type of NFL linebacker, Dylan. And for a lot of the reasons I liked Roquan Smith, I feel like Warner brings some of those things to the team as well. And I thought it was a great third round pick. Yeah, I think that's going to be a good one for him. And, you know, not a lot of of, of pressure of, of kind of playing somebody if you were to take somebody in the first round. Um, you know, like, you know, they were picking Tremaine Edmonds or somebody like that, obviously. Um, Vander Esch, you know, who knew if they would have traded back and tried to get one of those guys, Rashawn Evans. They got a really good player um, that just kind of perfectly, you know, where their needs were. Um, they were able to kind of sell some things and then also bring this guy in. Uh, from what I hear about Fred Warner is he's, he's super athletic. Um, he's just a solid all-around player. Um, you know, he's maybe not unlike uh, Malcolm Smith. So um, they, they're they definitely going to have some good players. I think their linebacking core is going to be very competitive this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm kind of excited to see him get next to and compliment Reuben Foster. 87 tackles, 9 for loss in 2017. He's got 7 career picks and 2 went for pick 6. He figures to compete immediately if Foster is suspended at all. And if not, they can kind of bring him in. He can be special teams. And um, eventually, I think, yeah, take over for, for Malcolm Smith. And Zane, do you see him as a three-down type guy? I think so. I think that if Ruben – well, first of all, I think Ruben Foster is probably getting suspended no matter what because the marijuana charge is still pending and there's still a weapons thing. And we'll get into that on the next show because um, his hearing was was delayed till May 8th. But uh, Fred Warner, I, I, I loved him on tape. He's kind of He's kind of one of those, what they say, like, guys that can play like an in the box safety almost he's he's kind of got that size and some people say he's undersized and that he gets he gets kind of washed out by blocks as as Dan was mentioning but when you've got a really dominant defensive line which i hope the 49ers will this year it kind of neutralizes those blockers and frees up your your middle linebackers and your linebackers to make plays and i'm i think that's what they're counting on this year to happen to to be able to free up some of these guys to make tackles and the the thing that excites me the most about Warner, so I was most excited about Pettis. I'm like second most excited about Warner because I want to see how he plays with Ruben Foster. Like having these two guys, like they're both sideline to sideline guys, both three down backers. Warner excels in coverage. He can cover tight ends and, and receivers, uh, you know, in the slot for, for short periods at least. And he provides like that versatility that Robert Sala is looking for in his defense. So I think that he can be a three down backer. Maybe not right away, but he may get a shot regardless of, of whether he's ready or not if Ruben Foster is suspended. And he capped off three picks in a row that I really, really liked. 
was all about again it was a lot to digest and i didn't see some of them coming but i really liked the first three picks it was after that where i started to scratch my head a little bit and the first one was with Tavares moore um and i get why they like him crazy fast four three two forty he's long which fits the mold of what they're looking for dylan but is is he just an athletic type guy or is this just a projection was this a reach what do you think I mean, it's hard to say it's not a reach if they envision him playing cornerback and he's never played cornerback before and he's just been a safety. Um, so that's kind of hard to, you know, at the third round, you're looking at guys that are definitely like, you know, they've had 15, 30 starts in college um, at the position that you're projecting them to play. So um, with more, it's, it's a little more, I mean, difficult to say that, you know, this, this made sense there. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was a bit of a head-scratcher at 95 overall. Um, but, you know, they had talked about his speed, um, you know, 4-3-2. You know, I think that's more suited for back into the fourth round, fifth round. But if the secret mm-hmm. was out, like they said, and, you know, they had this is the place they had to take him, um, again, you know, have to trust uh, their evaluation here. And I guess the reason that you kind of give them that rope is because, you know, Adrian Colbert, um, Akella Weatherspoon, third rounder and a seventh rounder they got starters out of. I think uh, the coaching is good uh, in the defensive backs room um, with Jeff Halfey. Um So I, I kind of, I kind of want to just give him the benefit of the doubt with more. Um, but you know, it's again this guy. It, he he could be an exciting pick. You know, just depending on if he works out. But you know, nobody can really definitively say how he's gonna, you know, what he's gonna look like in this defense. It worries me because he was a one-year starter and he, he had a great pro day. And anytime you see somebody who kind of, I don't know, impresses you in a workout and maybe there's not a lot of tape on, I, d- I just worry about the bus factor there. But Zane, we talked about um, on the last show that we thought the Niners were going to take multiple defensive backs because they, they needed that depth there. Yeah. So the run of them started here and, and I, I get what they were doing, but maybe again, the guys just surprised me. So more to me was Boomer Bust. Did you feel that way with him? I actually like the pick a lot because it does remind me a lot of, as Dylan was saying, Adrian Colbert. And and we didn't really know how Adrian would fit in last year. We just knew that he was super fast. He ran like a four two five forty, which was like ridiculous at his at his pro day. And Moore kind of has that same sort of feel for me. Like he's he is definitely a tweener. Like I, I do I do want to see how he plays on the outside. He's got the size. He's six two one ninety, so he definitely has the size to be able to be out there. But does he have the lateral quickness and change of direction ability that it, that is required by a corner, uh, as opposed to just being a center fielder at safety? And it just feels like they he was one of the many athletes that they drafted that may have tra- tested high athletically, but may not have like shown uh, to be a technician in in one specific area like like ball skills or press coverage or change of direction or fluid hips or anything like that. So. I, I err on the side of caution, and I don't want to say that that he has a high bus factor or anything, but I, I did kind of wonder about this pick. I thought that they would wait and get a guy like Quentin Meeks later on, but I, I, I'm going to say that that they have a, a plan in mind, and the the allure of his size attracted them. And before before we move on to the next one, like we should remember that Minka Fitzpatrick is another one of those guys. He only played, I believe, like 13 snaps or something like that on the outside like he he had not played on the outside at all as a corner so those guys like they're asked they're being asked to do more in the nfl and if more can do that 
then that would be great because he's he's a third round pick, and if he can't do that, then so be it. You're only losing a third round pick. And I think the great thing is that you know you have Richard Sherman in house this season. You know who's a converted receiver to cornerback, fourth rounder, yeah. um, and just a really smart player that's you know talking about taking on this mentorship role. So he's going to be able to, and maybe excited and eager to, as he becomes this season veteran to take on more as a project. So if nothing else, you know, that'll be kind of a fun storyline. Again, I think that is a is a good room when it comes to evaluation and um, the way they develop their defensive backs. So, you know, they, they placed four more rounds of, of higher value on more than they did uh, than they did Colbert, and that's with having to convert him in mind. So, you know, it's fun to kind of explore their thinking and, and, and what they're thinking and then to, to get excited about it. But that's pretty much all we can do right now until they get to, to camp because, you know, this guy is a huge question mark. Poor Richard Sherman, huh? He's He's got to convert more into a corner and babysit Reuben Foster. And about, <laughs> he's probably yeah, going to lot out of him, right? <laughs> yeah, they are. And he's rehabbing from an injury, too. It's like, poor guy. <laughs> come, come in and save our defense is what they're yeah. pretty much saying right now. Speaking of saving the defense, you know what would have done that? I think you guys, maybe somebody could sack the quarterback. Niners had today, I tweeted out a stat, 24 people in the NFL, 24 defenders in the NFL last year had at least nine sacks. There's two guys on the Niners who have at least nine career sacks. Atachu has 10 and um, DeForest Buckner has nine. So they just don't have pass rushers. And as the second day opened, I thought they were going to take a chance on Josh Sweat was still there. And I'm like, they're going to take a chance on him. They're going to do it. And their fourth round pick pissed me off so much. And the main thing, maybe, maybe it's like PTSD with, with the Trent Belke thing in the ACLs. I don't know. But when I found out they're taking Contavious Street in the fourth round, and he's coming off this ACL. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? This team to me does not have the luxury of making cushy picks like that yet to me. And it, my initial thought was, okay, well, this is a pick to help replace Eric Armstead when he's gone after this year, but they just picked up the option on Armstead. Did you guys see that? That they yeah. just picked up Fisher on Armstead. So Armstead's right. going to be around, and we'll talk about that a little bit before we go too. But So I, I didn't understand this pick at all. He tears his ACL in a pre-draft workout with the Giants. He's going to be shelved for at least a year, and, and he comes back, and, and you, don't, you don't know how good he's going to be. To me, if you're going to take a chance on someone, take a chance on Josh Sweat, who the Eagles did. What was it, two picks later or whatever it was. So Dylan, to me, this, this was the first time i think of the lynn shanahan era where i was legitimately a little bit angry at something that they did yeah i mean i i could definitely understand like because sweat went right after <laughs> i mean he, he really went to the Eagles. so um i get it. it you know the traditional pick the more i looked at street the more this became one of my favorite picks in the entire draft for them and i know it's it sounds crazy on the surface because he had the acl and you know you talk about you know the misses that the, the past regime had and, you know, ultimately contributed to how we're here today. But um, I, I thought street was just kind of this uh, freaky, freaky athlete to have in, in your front seven. Um, you know, he just, the pass rush ability is pretty much all around. He looks like a full-time defensive end. Um, I think he would have gone in a, in a much earlier round. Um, so this does, yeah, this is definitely a stash. You're counting on him coming back from the ACL. Um, and you don't really know if there was been any hangups because it had just happened. 
Um, so you don't really know how, you know, it's not like he's close to being done with the process and everything's fine. Um, so I get that part of it, but, you know, it's, they have a good system. You know, they're also going to bring him into their whole medical um, process and, you know, he's going to be dealt with, with, you know, by the best in the, in the country. So I think, I think I like that. I, I like the idea of him being able to get back to a hundred percent and, my belief in that is why I could just kind of evaluate what Contavious Street is. And, you know, the early looks at him is he looks phenomenal. And if, you know, if it's just the missed, you know, rookie year and then, you know, he comes back after that, um, especially when you don't know what's happening with Eric Armstead and guys like that in the future, you're going to have Street that's ready to kind of step in. So um, I want to give this regime a clean slate. And, you know, Contavious Street looks like, you know, a really exciting player off the edge. You're a better man than I am, Dylan. You really, <laughs> you really are. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers are not good enough to stash players on IR. Period. Like that's uh, you know, and and I I absolutely hear what you're saying, Dylan, and and I do agree with it. But it's just this PTSD, like I was saying, of so many Trent Balky picks, seven of them over yeah. the years that never amounted to anything, and you have a, a need at pass rusher. And you draft a guy that cannot be on the field this year. Like I, I saw him squat like 700 pounds in in a, in a YouTube video or a Twitter clip or whatever, and which is it's impressive. And I've seen his ability on tape, his athletic ability. But to me, the the greatest ability a player can have is availability. And to leave a guy like Josh Sweat on the board that could have filled a need to draft, you know, like Dane Brugler was saying, a fourth round version of Solomon Thomas. I just don't. I just don't get it. It was the, like, I'm with Al. Like, it was the first time in the two years since, or the, the 12 months, I guess, since last year, that I've really outwardly questioned what the 49ers are doing because I just don't see why you make that pick when you have needs all over the place. Like, and to me, it, it shows that they're, they're kind of sending a message that they're not done rebuilding. Like, everybody thinks that they're, ready to go to the playoffs and contend for the division. And it's a two team race in the NFC West and picks like that kind of send me the message that, no, we, we still need, we still need to have work that we need to get done. And that to me, it's, it's, it's an eye opener because yeah, like you want the team to compete and do well, but at the same time, like I want them to be able to fill holes too. And even when street gets back, he's an, he's an intriguing prospect and he's an athletic freak and, and he tested well and all of those things. But I, I wish they would have really gone with the pass rusher here. I really do. Because as satisfied as they are with like Cassius Marsh and uh, Atauchu, and for whatever reason, they are obsessed with playing Solomon Thomas at Leo, even though he's better inside, like as, as happy as they are with them, they, I, I don't see them getting drastically better in the off season. Like what, what can they possibly learn in the off season? It's the same guys that were there last year. So I, I just really thought like, I just really thought this was a huge miss from them. I'd rather have a guy who squats 500 pounds and has two good knees. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, good for you. Jeff. That's just what I feel like. And something Lynch said to me that I thought came across as comical. And listen, I'm not knocking Cassius March because I love the way he played for the Niners last year. And I, I think he, he could be a very solid player for them. Me too. Yeah. But, but when you make a comment and you say, well, you can't come in here and, and say you're going to take Cassius March's job. And I'm thinking to myself, well, here's a guy who got cut last year and has six career sacks. That's, that's the person who you're making an example of. You know what I mean? Using as an example. And again, I, I like the promise of Marsh. I, I, I do. But my point in that is that when Lynch made that 
comparison or, or that analogy or whatever, he wasn't using an example of anyone who has a track record. You know, if you come in and say, well, you're not going to take Elvis Doomerville, you say, okay, well, Doomerville's got a long track record of sacks. Cassius Mars doesn't. So when he says something like that, I'm like, really? So basically what they're counting on with their pass rush right now is a bunch of guys that they hope can do it, essentially. And again, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, with PETA developing, and I'm fine with, with Marsh and seeing what you have in Itachi. If maybe you had a vet that you can mix in like a Doomerville that you know is going to be able to put some pressure on when, when he's in the woods, the third down specialist or whatever. And I don't think they have that guy. So when he makes that analogy to me, and again, I'm not knocking Marsh. I like Marsh. But when you say that, you can't say that about a guy who, who just doesn't have a track record to me. So when he said that, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, Marsh doesn't have uh, much production to speak of. Um, I thought he came in and, yeah, he was, you know, he kind of, you know, they got him off waivers and he caught a couple sacks. Uh, I think it was the Bears game and the Rams game he had sacks. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, this could be the first real flaws maybe this, you know, front office has. You know, you know, Harbaugh, after that initial honeymoon phase was over, we had, a, you know, you'd kind of learn that, you know, uh, they have problems in the red zone. You know, they're, uh, they have issues, uh, bringing in receivers. Uh, the, you know, they have, they have issues with their players off the field. Um, so there was like a lot of imperfections. Maybe this is one of them. Um, but you know, on the other hand, you know, maybe this is just part of that early rebuild, you know, if street comes back and he's, you know, something like the next Brandon Graham, you know, that's great. I mean, again, you get this player in waiting that comes back. Um, and, you know, I, he could really be a very good player for them. Um, but, you know, yeah, you're definitely counting on just the ACL. But, you know, it's it's 2018. I think that the, he can come back from this. I think he can he can fit in. Um, and we're also going to remember the system and what Bala likes to do. I mean, he, he needs athletic defensive linemen because he likes to drop his defensive tackles in the coverage. And he likes to blitz his defensive backs a lot. So, you did see some pass rush be addressed. It just wasn't the edge position. I mean, he brought in a lot of these hard-hitting safeties. Marcel Harris, Moore with his 4-3-2 speed coming off the edge or from the slot, you know, he's going to whack the quarterback. So um, pass rush can't, it will come from different areas, and, uh, you know, it can come with packages. And if you can sustain that for 16 more games, maybe Street's worth it, you know. So, um it's it's definitely a rebuild. I'm, it's almost a good thing that they're not getting ahead of themselves and thinking that they're all the way there, um, and that they're taking time and, and considering kind of building for the next, you know, four, ten, twelve years, et cetera. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope a year and a half from now or whatever it is, Marsh is coming off a ten tax ten sack season. <laughs> And Street is, you know, looking great after camp and looks like he's going to be a contributor. And people are tweeting at me and telling me I'm a moron. I hope that happens. You know, I really do. So, but I feel like they made up for it in the fifth round because I, I was all about the DJ Reed pick at cornerback. And I really liked it. He didn't fit the, that long, tall body type, Dylan. He's only 5'9", and he'll be primarily a slot guy. But he's confident. He only gave up a 53% completion percentage in college. I, I think he's a guy who can challenge Williams this year and maybe be the nickel guy moving forward, don't you? I definitely think so. Uh, yeah, he was a JUCO transfer, and then two years at uh, at Kansas State, he was two-time first-team All-Big 12. Um, he projects to play in the slot, but he played a lot outside. Um, I think he's got versatility to play inside and outside, but 
Um, you know, with Sherman and Akello, you know, if they're all good to go for 16 games, Reed should primarily play in the slot. Um, you know, it could be him and Williams in dime situations and big packages. And then, um, you know, he could very well, yeah, overthrow Williams. But he's got to be an all-around, you know, slot. He's got to be able to, to cover and tackle and, and, you know, help and run support and, and blitz and be effective there. Um, while Williams has been in the league for a couple of years. So, you know, even though he's not, you don't think of him as that upper echelon slot, you know, he's, he's got some experience on Reed. So, um, it's going to definitely be an exciting battle, um, there, but I definitely think they got deeper, um, in the nickel, which was important. Were you guys in on the conference call with Reed after he got drafted? No, no, no. Um, so he, like for those of you who haven't heard, like he like absolutely has the attitude of a top flight corner. The guy, I I love his attitude. He calls himself a shutdown corner. He's like, I don't give up catches. I'm a, I'm a shutdown. Number one corner. He flat out said it. And I love that because that's the attitude you have to have when you're playing corner. You have to have that swag. You have to have that chip on your shoulder to be able to play that position. And Richard Sherman is one of those guys who's, who's an expert at that. And yeah. having DJ Reed on the same roster as Richard Sherman to, to learn from him, regardless of whether Reed plays outside or not, is going to be huge. I, I love the guy's ball skills. He he can press man. He can bump and run. Like he can stay on the receiver's hip. Like this guy is big time. He more than makes up for his size with with his attitude and with his with his physical ability. Like he ran a four four forty, so he's not like a slow guy either. And just the fact that. They've got insurance for Kwan Williams in, t- in case he he goes down with injury or is ineffective. I think it's a great move because Jimmy Ward in the slot he was good last year, but you're not going to be paying whatever the salary is was it nine million dollars this year I think for a slot corner just to play that that position. And I really feel like they're trying to phase out all of the Trent Mulkey guys and trying to bring in their own guys. And Jimmy Ward is one of those guys that's on the hot seat. And if DJ Reed plays really really well, then you can pretty much spell the end of Jimmy Ward and you're getting a better player at a cheaper cost and you have, you know, you, you have more upside cause he's younger. So yeah, DJ Reed at that, at that spot was huge value. And it's one of those picks that, that they totally nailed. Yeah. I is, totally agree. Is, is they moved on here, you know, you look at the sixth and seventh round and you say, Oh, well, you know, what can you get from these guys? But the Niners have done well late. In the past few years, you got Trent Brown in the seventh round, Adrian Colbert, um, guys like DJ Jones and, and Peter Talmapenu who look like they could be contributors moving forward. So these picks can be big. And you took Marcel Harris um, in the sixth round. And to me, he's another one where I really don't know really what you're going to get out of him. He was somebody else who was injured. Uh, he missed all 2017 with an Achilles. Um, it looks like he was brought in for depth, maybe special teams. You know, Jaquaski Tark got extended. So he's got that strong safety position locked down. So he's another one that I'd like to think that, you know, Salah sees him and, and sees that he has the traits to fit into his system. This was a pick that I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. I just kind of read the name and read what he was about and said, okay, special teams, depth, moving on type thing. Yeah, no, uh, Harris. Yeah, Harris could be a contributor, you know, special teams right away. Um, but also coming in on, you know, uh, you know, dime packages or, you know, coming in for depth if they want to use a third safety. Uh, and just get some hitters out there. And I think that's kind of also just that added physical presence that they kind of wanted to establish. Uh, to me, this was a Robert Sala pick, you know, just this guy's violent. 
Um, he has bad intentions. Uh, and he's he's a good hitter. Um, so I, I I like the pick. You know, again, this was kind of a, a torn Achilles, but he tore it before the season started. So um, I'm guessing he should be ready for this coming season. Um, but yeah, this was an, another just keep adding DBs, adding a physical presence, and you know that's kind of all you can really do uh, in those sixth and seventh round is is kind of hope for special teamers. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, rarely do you get lucky with an Adrian Colbert. Um, so this, this was a good pick and it could be better than we think. So I think Harris will play, uh, from what I have been reading on Twitter, he's cleared and he should be able to, or he will be cleared, uh, by what he calls one of the the best doctors in the country. And he will, he will be available to play this year at some point. So I think they may stash him on the early season pup list and then maybe late season, take him off. But Marcel Harris is one of the hardest hitting safeties in that conference when he came out in, in Florida. And I think that the overarching sort of theme of this draft was, especially on defense was guys that can hit and guys that can move. And he's a speedy guy that can, that can play in the box. He, he is a prototypical strong safety in the box safety that can play that cam chancellor role if needed. But like Dylan, like you said, I think at this point they're looking for, like special teams guys guys that can come in and and cover kicks and punts and stuff like that and i really believe that they're trying to get all of the bulky guys out because that's kind of like Trent bulky was at the helm and the 49ers were the worst roster in the nfl so they want to get all those guys out and drafting guys even even to play special teams is is aiding them in doing that yeah and one of those guys I, i think that um they'll develop and it'll be kind of be a stash away player is, is going to be Julian Taylor who they took to kick off seventh round for them. He just screams stash and develop to me. And I, I almost feel like he got drafted off of one game. He was against uh, central Florida guy had 10 tackles, eight solo tackles and four and a half set tackles for loss. He was just a beast. So they see somebody like him in round seven. He's a guy that you put on your practice squad and, and develop. And look, we've seen guys come off the practice squad before who have had, who developed well. Ian Williams is a guy who comes to mind that the Niners years ago stashed away and he came in and before he got hurt was ended up being a really good player for them. So I, you know, I, I, he did tear his ACL a few years ago, but he seems to be recovered from that now. And I feel like he, he's definitely good value in the seventh in terms of a stash and, and sort of developed type player. Yeah. I like the Niners ability, at least this regime's ability to spend little on defensive linemen and get more than what most people think they bargained for. I mean, even Earl Mitchell as a veteran defensive tackle, kind of a journeyman defensive tackle, came in and played really well. Um, I thought that DJ Jones was a was a good pickup for them from Ole Miss. Is is similar, and this Julian actually reminded me a lot of him. Just um, I know that DJ is is three hundred pounds and he's and he's very big, but also athletic relative to his size, which Taylor is as well. Um, these are guys that will kind of chase you down, so it's it's a good pickup for them. Um, we also saw you know Ledger Doosable. Guys like that that they just kind of picked up, put in Sheldon Day. Um, I like their eye for defensive line talent, so maybe he could be one of those guys. And uh, Temple's a good school if you're looking for defensive linemen. So um, I kind of like the pickup all around. Um, and, you know, I totally get it. I'm kind of excited to see what happens. He plays that big defensive end position that Eric Armstead currently occupies, and I think that if Eric Armstead is gone next year, they're pretty much trying to see where they can replace him with, with, with the guys that they have in this draft with both street and, and Taylor, whichever one of these guys steps up, will probably get that starting job in my opinion. So Al, that's, that's a hot take for next year. 
put that put that away in the safe for next year. We can uh, open it up. But I think that one of these guys will probably start a defensive end next year the, the, at Eric Armstead's spot, regardless of of whether he was picked up, whether his option was picked up or not, which it was. Um, I really like Taylor. I believe there was one instance of him beating Quentin Nelson and Dylan. Did you was that was that Taylor? I yeah, it was Taylor. I saw that clip. Uh, David Lombardi of the Athletic actually found that. That was a really good find. Yeah, and he just like drove Quentin Nelson back. It's the only time that I've seen anybody do that to Quentin Nelson. So I think that in itself is 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 indicative of his athletic ability. And when you get to this part of the draft, like your last couple of picks, that you want to look for guys that have those superlatives, whether they ran a really fast forty or whether they were all conference or guys that can do that sort of thing on film. And I think Taylor is one of those guys, like like you said, like like a DJ Jones that will be able to find a place on this team. So uh, at that point, like I. I I, I like that pick. And then Zane, I know you were all about that Richie Zane, Richie James pick too at wide receiver down the seventh. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like Richie James. I I was actually watching highlights of him last night, like just right before going to bed, and like uh, he was just electric. Like he can he can play anywhere. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He he goes up for jump balls. Like the guy is just a highlight machine. I think that between. Pettis, Richie James, Trent Taylor, Gordon Garcon, like they've totally remade the roster. And like Kendrick Bourne is there as well. They've totally remade their roster for wide receivers. And you look at what they have now compared to what Jimmy Garoppolo was playing with at the end of last season, and it's totally different. Uh, James is one of those guys who you could use out of the backfield, you could use in the slot. A guy that can get open in short spaces because you you really have to rely on Jimmy Garoppolo to find that mismatch and get the ball to him quickly, which he excels at. So you know, at this value, the, the value was huge in the draft. Like I, I expected him to go way before this, and I was absolutely thrilled with this with this pick. Dylan, in 2015 and 2016, James had 213 catches, 2,971 yards, and 20 touchdowns before he was kind of banged up last year. This guy can play, man, right? Yeah, he was, he was like, I, I had, I had been mocking Richie James to the Niners for many, just, he was just a great, I couldn't get off that pick, you know, he was just that one that just winds up in almost every mock. Richie James for me was that guy, I just thought Shanahan had to see it, where guy was a hidden gem, he was going to come of value because, yeah, like you said, he had the early production, but, you know, he had, he had broken his collarbone uh, in 2017. Um, so it was kind of, it, you know, it was just crazy when I, you know, when it actually had gone through when the, when the, when they put their pick in and got Richie James, because I think he's got a huge future in San Francisco. I think this goes, he can really, I mean, there's no limits for, you know, what he can do. And I don't think they're going to really put a cap on it. You know, if he is clearly just the best player with the ball in his hands, um, I mean, Goodwin should maybe look out. Uh, I, I really think I think a lot of Richie James, like really that much of Richie James, where uh, some of these other guys are going to have to look out because they're going to be competing for snaps. Have you guys noticed a trend with the 49ers? Like they'll sign a guy to an extension and then right away they'll bring a guy to compete with them. Like it yeah. happened. It happened with Kilgore. It happened with uh, it happened with Goodwin now because they brought in these receivers. It happened yeah. with Jaquaski Tart. They're drafting safeties. So uh, do you think that there's anything to that? I just think NFL contracts now, it's, they're not real money. You know, it's, it's never as much as it looks like. And, and the Niners just signed such 
team friendly deals that most of their deals are like one year deals. Look at Jerk. I mean, they can walk away from McKinnon after next year. You know, you look at that contract and you're like, oh my God, well, all the money's up front. You know, so I, I like what they do. They keep the competition going and, and really the guys got to perform in that first year when they're getting paid or because the next year it's not, you know, they can walk away easily from them. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if, if you look really down the line and, and what this team could be in the future, it's, I mean, you can look at a trio of, of uh, Pettis and James on the outside and Taylor as your, as your lot guy. I mean, those could be the top three with Jimmy that grow with Jimmy for the next, you know, X amount of years. Um, just because of, you know, just projecting the longevity, you know, whatever, how many, however many seasons Garcon has, uh, left in the league. And then, you know, if, if Goodwin is just beat by one of these young receivers, that's got a lot of upside, you know, a lot of these guys have a lot of upside. Um, and while Goodwin has track speed, they went after players that to get this team up to speed as quick as possible. So the first year, the players that all signed contracts in the first years, I mean, I don't know. Just don't get too attached to them because, you know, they had to make this team as good as they could, as quick as they could, and they had a lot of work to do. So um, I really wouldn't be surprised if, if it's really still wide open at receiver. Really? That's an interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's that's a that's a I hot take right there. I, I don't like think you're, I don't think you're wrong though, dude. Like you you know you could walk away from any of these guys if they don't perform, and some of the other guys that they brought in are better. I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, they love Kendrick Bourne. the The coaching staff is big on him too. So competition is going to be fierce at receiver this year, and, and guys are going to have to step up for sure. Now, what about undrafted free agents, guys? Who are some? Dylan, we'll start with you. Anybody that they brought in? I know there's one player I absolutely loved. But anybody they brought in that really caught your eye? Yeah, you know, I, I had my eye on on really just uh, two. Had fully more or less read up on one. Uh, the big one was, and I'm pretty sure we can all agree, was Florida State cornerback Tavares McFadden, the Jack yep. Tatum yep. Trophy winner in 2016. That's a yep, big that deal. Yeah, they paid for him. I mean, that was like the McCaw draft pick that the Warriors made, where they just paid up yep. for a pick. I mean, they, they basically paid for McFadden. Um, so I consider McFadden a draft pick of theirs, whether it's seventh round or whatever. I feel that they, they, they paid up. So, um, I expect him to make the roster. So that's, that's a big deal. I think he's a top three undrafted free agent for them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I could see a Matt Breida, you know, Magnuson or Bourne situation with him where he's undrafted, but he comes in and he's, he's going to contribute to the team. He's by far my favorite. He had eight picks in 2016, which led the nation, I believe. And he fell because of his speed. He ran a four six eight forty. I think that scared a lot of teams off. But I think he's going to fit what the Niners do, and, and he can definitely compete for playing time there. Zane, another guy I liked was um, Stephen Dunbar, six three wide receiver, good jumper. And again, going with what we said earlier about the competition at receiver, just because of his size, they, they don't have a guy like that. I know the Niners don't seem to care that much, but... If he can come in and be impressive, I think he's a guy that maybe can fight for a role there. I actually, it's funny that you guys mentioned those are the two guys that I actually think will make the team. Like, I think that they have a legitimate shot of making the team because, uh, I mean, the McFadden, the McFadden pick, like you had, you had him going in your mock out in actual draft yep. to the point yeah, like the third so, round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I had I had Quentin Meeks going to mine in, in like the in like the fifth round, like he went undrafted to the to the Vikings. But I, I I love McFadden. Like I can't believe he didn't get drafted. Like he was really sought after, and immediately the Forty ers like that was one of the first names that they that they picked up because there were several teams that were after him. 
but he just fits the scheme so well. And the the slow 40 time is not a big deal. Like Sherman ran a really slow 40 time as well. So slow for corners, but uh, I'm not really too concerned about that. Like it's his technique and the, his ball skills that really, really like draw me to him. Like, I think that he's going to be really good. And I think that at some point he'll probably get some significant snaps this year, like because of, uh, you know, injuries happen and things like that. But I just think that he's going to rocket up that depth chart. I really do. So I have really high hopes for him, and as as you said, Dylan, they paid for him, so clearly they do as well. And they 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 got a steal there. And Dunbar is one of those guys that he's automatically now the tallest receiver on the team. Pettis is is six foot, just a shade under six two, and and Dunbar is what six three. So a red zone threat doesn't necessarily mean like a really tall guy, but it'll be interesting to see how they how they how the roster shakes out and whether they keep him just because they need a tall guy. Because they don't really have anybody. Even Kittle, I believe, is like six foot one, isn't he? Al? Like he's kind of undersized for a tight end. So I, I think he's like six four, isn't he? Is he six four? I think I think Kittle's pretty big. All right, I'm a I'm a I'm a dirty rotten liar. So uh, <laughs> all right. So while you're looking that up, yeah, I think that on, on at the receiver position at least, they don't have a guy that has that sort of height and then that kind of drew them to him. And I think that both of these guys could have that same sort of impact that Matt Breda did in, in that limited role, but can maybe earn a spot for next year's roster. Yeah. He's six, four. You gypped him three inches in. I gypped him. I'm, I gypped everybody, everything. Like I remember I gypped Joe Starkey, like 10 years on his experience. And I gypped Colbert, like a full, like 10th of a second on his 40 time last, yeah. last year when we had him on the show. Like I'm just, you, that's you, you gypped Marquis Goodwin on his name. I gypped Marquis Goodwin on his name. I'm just, you know, so that's how you roll. Guys, before we put a bow on this thing, um, I want to talk about this Eric Armstead news because the Niners picked up his fifth-year option on his contract. And I feel like a lot of fans don't like Armstead. And when you look at where he was drafted, I understand the frustration. But I think he's a better player than what he gets credit for. And before breaking his hand in week six last year, he was actually second on the team with 15 quarterback pressures. And he graded out as an above-average run defender um, per pro football focus. But now the issue is... He's also missed 18 of his last 32 games, so the guy can't seem to stay on the field. But Dylan, were you surprised they picked up the option, or did, or did that make sense to you? Well, at this point, not really. I mean, I, I it wasn't it wasn't too big of a surprise, just because the team is just. Uh, I mean, it's kind of been full surprises. Everything was kind of very very close to the chest until it happened. So um, you know, when news breaks, it's more like trying to understand why they made the decision. So the first thing I had really thought of is defensive line depth, and you can't get enough of it. Um, I think that they're still evaluating Eric Armstead because he finished on IR, and if they let him go and he turned out to be a good player someone else, they'd be kicking themselves. Um, I think that Eric has underwhelmed a little bit since he's been in the league, given his draft slot. Um, I understand pressures and all that, but, you know, even if you look at what he was at Oregon, I mean, don't just look at San Francisco years, look at the Oregon years. Has he changed much? Because when he came to the league, he was a, he was a developmental upside guy. You know, everyone was like, oh, you know, he's 6'7", he's huge, people won't be able to stop him. He's going to get five, six, and sacks. You know, people really did think this. So, um, with, you know, with, with Armstead, it's just that he's he's not I say, I just I don't see like a ton of improvement or a ton of living up to his billing. Um, solid defensive lineman, but um, can you do better there? Yeah, I think maybe probably. Um, but right now, the Niners have so much money, and they couldn't spend it all in free agency. They didn't clearly didn't want to spend it all in free agency, so they 
looked at other options, and I think that paying for good depth and uh, having some security and, and at the same time paying for guys that you can evaluate. Um, they were really got – I felt like they got creative with the money that they had. Um, you know, it wasn't just like there's a bunch of free agents that spend everything. It was kind of like, well, you know, how can we allocate this money to really kind of uh, make the most of our resources? And I think that that's what they're doing with Ward. I think that's what they're doing with Armstead. By keeping these guys around, you can see what you have, and if they don't work out, then it's no big deal. I actually like that that take a lot, Dylan. I think that that's exactly what they're doing. They're basically keeping these guys on what are now one-year deals to say, like, all right, prove it. What do you have left? Do you have anything left? And and if they don't, they don't have to feel bad about getting rid of them. Um, I think it's a stopgap until we see what Street has and what Taylor has uh, from the draft this year. I think that those guys will both get a shot next year. Plus, Solomon Thomas, I, I have to believe that at some point they're going to move him away from Leo. Like he's just not he's just not any good there. Like he he just doesn't get any pressure there. He doesn't have pass rush moves to play that position. Like he's the best play for Solomon Thomas, and this is turning into a Solomon Thomas rant, but the best place for Solomon Thomas is is inside next to DeForest Buckner. And I yeah. feel like until Eric Armstead is still playing that big defensive end position, they can't move Solomon Thomas. So yeah. I didn't I didn't really understand why they picked it up because I I fully expected Solomon Thomas to move to that that position and for them to get a Leo, but I think that for the reasons that you said, basically, like, can they get anything out of them at this point? Like, like if they can get something or anything out of them, then then it's great. But right now, it looks like a, a $9 million stopgap. Also, guys, I just want to bring to the fact, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I think it's a stopgap. These guys have six-year deals, this whole regime, right? So Shanahan Lynch, they're keeping their guys, you know, Sala and everything. Yeah. I don't think any more than you'd want to take a quarterback or feel forced to take a quarterback that you want to feel forced to take a Leo high that you maybe only half believe in, or you don't know that that's the best player. Like dude, they have a scouting department that does nothing but this year round. They know about high school kids right now. They know about college kids right now. They have street and Armstead. Maybe those are directly, you know, connected as far as what they're going to do. So, you know, they may tell us, yeah, we're going to play Solomon at Leo. We're going to play Solomon at Leo. Burning two years of a six-year stretch early to make sure that you find the best Leo for the system, I mean, it's not that big a deal, especially because, cool, you know, Solomon gets to learn some outside techniques that he otherwise wouldn't learn. And then when he kicks inside, he gets back to doing what he's always been good at. So you have a more well-rounded player, and then you bring in that outside guy. So I know it's like, you know, I guess what I'm saying is Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think that they have a long-term vision for this. And I don't think that they're going to take a Leo just because they feel they need to take one this year. Or, or you know, I, I really think that, um, you know, it's a multi-year plan and it's very strategic. So, um, yeah, it, that's I know I just kind of spewed at you, but that's kind of a lot of the thoughts that I've had about what they're doing on the defensive line because um, it's, it's a lot like, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces and options that they can do. Um, but, yeah. That's that's kind of the gist. It's interesting that you say that. And sorry, Al, we're like going back and forth here. Just like, no, it's not good. Feel, feel free to I take a nap. I was, tw- I was tweeting something. <laughs> feel feel free to take a nap. We'll wake you up when we're done. <laughs> I, I tweeted that Armstead stat because I was oh, like, oh, okay. it's a good stat to tweet out right now. I'm going to do that while these guys are talking. That's a that's a great stat. But uh, you know, Dylan, I mean, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Like, I I think that they didn't. The, it's interesting that you say that because when I look back at the draft, the 49ers did not draft like a team that was like one or two players away. And it, and it and it 
feels like that because Jimmy won all those games at the end of the year. And like, they, they were really, you know, he's never lost a game at quarterback and there's all this excitement surrounding the team. But I think that behind closed doors, they know that they're not just like one or two players away. They know that they're still building this roster and they know that they need depth. So the way that they're executing their transactions right now to the, like, the average fan or to the fan on the outside, like it looks like, you know, these guys are, are moving very slow footed and they're, they're being too deliberate and they're being too safe. But when it comes down to it, they have a, a vision that they want to execute and they may be just hitting on all their points right now that it's, it's some say, some might say it's too conservative. Some might say that they need to take chances, but like you said, they have six years, de- six year deals. There's no rush. Plus the Rams are going all in for at least two years, right? So you have to basically compete with that. And I, I, I think the 49ers are being smart because when the Rams inevitably blow up because they have to, they won't be able to afford everybody in two years, the 49ers can kind of slip in there. They'll be ripe. They'll be ready to go. They'll still have all of these guys under contract and their team will be ready to compete for that division. Yeah. And, and you know, you guys, it's, it's like a, it's like a film, you know, it's not all shot in order, right? You know, it's shot in convenience of the production, but at the end it all comes together and it all makes sense. Right. Um, I, th- I think that's kind of what they're doing. I think that, you know, that's really, you know, that's the difference. That's one of the main differences between a, an NFL front office and, and the fan base that, you know, looks at the needs that, you know, ESPN lists, you know, wide receiver, cornerback edge, and, 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 you know, thinks that that's going to get settled like that because, um, oftentimes I don't think, I think it's dictated by the draft class. All right, guys, let's talk grades. Al, what's your, what's your final grade? Oh man, these are so tough for me because like, <laughs> we haven't seen these guys on the field yet, but I know you I mean, it's, what you, it's what you do, right? I'll say, I'll say B minus or a B in that range. Dylan, what about you? I'm actually, uh, I got a piece coming tomorrow on this and yeah, I, I'm, I'm giving them a B minus. So. I'm going to say uh, C plus with an asterisk. And uh, the asterisk is uh, going to be uh, that this was actually an A plus draft because the 49ers got Jimmy Garoppolo for, for that second round pick in this draft. So uh, that's an A plus. <laughs> but I, I just think that, like, again, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think that they went conservative. I feel like McGlinchey pick, that was a need that would kind of arose by their own actions by, you know, getting rid of Trent Brown or wanting to get rid of Trent Brown. I feel like they could have had better, uh, better value there with Derwin James or one of these guys um, uh, like Minka Fitzpatrick or Terrell, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who a lot of people didn't like, but I, I thought could have fit. But uh, just, just like doubling and tripling up on, on players to me, like, I just, I, I don't like that. I don't like that, that, you know, picking so many DBs, you know, in the middle rounds and things like that. Like, I felt like they did not address edge rusher and uh, they could have taken a flyer on one of these guys. Um, like Equinemius St. Brown was on the board for, for a while and they didn't pick him. Um, they, you know, they, they address positions, but not in the way that I thought. So the, the, the C plus slash slash B minus for me um, is mostly because I think that they had some needs going into this draft and they, they didn't necessarily address them. But that being said, this is not like a one year build. Right. This is this is like they're building up to something. So maybe next year they'll address those needs, or we don't know who's going to come through the 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 cuts uh, that are going to happen through training camp. Right. Like veterans could get cut, guys could be surprise cuts, like Des Bryant. Right. Like he was cut. He was surprised. He wasn't a surprise cut, but it was just a surprise of when he when he got cut. So I'm going to say B minus C plus right now. Um, 
And I thought that they hit on on some needs and there are some exciting players, but I thought that this was kind of like just like a weird draft where they chose a lot of like athletes, but not a, and a lot of tweeners, but not a lot of guys that could like excel in one specific area. I mean, they could come away with their own no fly zone. They could. Yeah, yeah. They do. Yeah. They could. This is a good draft. Yeah. They could. And definitely the, go that way. The thing that intrigued me a lot was was the so you could take the athlete thing both two ways like like you could either take it the way that like oh well they didn't really get guys that play a specific position they'll have to learn new positions and it'll be a, a learning curve and all this stuff or you can take it the other way which I choose to take it that they got a bunch of guys that are off the charts like athletes they can jump high they can they're super strong they're super fast you know they they got guys with those superlatives that you're looking for in the draft. Instead of guys that have like, you know, 10 inch hands or like arm length, like Trent Balky was obsessed with, or, you know, like you're getting guys that have actual physical skills as opposed to like traits. Yeah. And like yeah. this, look, like I said, this, this draft could end up being a good one. Just, we got to wait and see kind of how it all plays out. But the talents there, just have to see how it's going to fit and that sort of thing. So, who's everyone's favorite pick? Oh, man. That's a really good question. I like Warner a lot. I like what Pettis could be. Um, I'm going to go with Pettis because of what I think he could be in that offense. Like he could be an exciting player. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll go. I'll go with Pettis on that. My favorite player, man, I got to go with Richie James. Like I, I, I love the way he plays. I was going to say Dante Pettis, but Al already took him. But I, I think if it's not Pettis, it's Richie James. Like he is so electric with the ball in his hands. He's so much fun to watch. He reminds me a lot of he he reminds me a lot of DeAnthony Thomas with the way that he moves and his and his stature and stuff. Like a much better version of DeAnthony Thomas. And I think that he could play like that sort of, same sort of like similar role in the 49ers offense, like a Swiss Army knife sort of guy that can that can do it out of the backfield or take bubble screens or or even take it down the field or over the middle. I think that he's definitely got a future in this league, and I really hope that that he can make it with the 49ers. Yeah, no, those are good ones. Um, I guess with Pettis, with Pettis and James off the board, um, it's going to take a while, but uh, you know, tell you my true feelings. Probably Contavious Street. Um, I love the defensive side of the ball. And that's. I think that I just I really liked what I've seen out of this guy as a complete defensive end. Uh, spin moves, counter moves, power moves. Can run out in space. Uh, and make tackles. Um, just kind of looks like a natural. So I, I, I like Street a lot. Um, I hope we get to see what he was actually really supposed to be. Dylan, before we wrap this up, tell everybody. I, I, did you mind? I don't know if you mentioned your podcast in the beginning, but even if you uh, did, mention again. Where can we find it? And what's going to be called? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, Eric Rocker and I are launching a podcast from fourth and nine. It's going to be called Cover Four. Um, that'll be available on SoundCloud. Uh, looking at it on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, all the convenient platforms, and we're targeting a May 13th uh, release of the first episode right now. So um, just talked with him today, and I, I think that's what it's looking like. Yeah, and fans can follow Dylan on Twitter at Dylan A. D. Simone. Oh, and look at you with a blue check mark, dude. How'd you manage <laughs> that? <laughs> oh, you're yeah, big time, man. You got, the, you got the blue check mark. I've been I've been doing and it's been it's been almost ten years I've been writing about this here. I feel like uh it started in actually, yeah, no. It's it's been better part of a decade. I started in uh late two thousand ten, two thousand eleven with Miners Nation. 
and then Bleacher Report, and then uh, did some web work for NBC Sports here in uh, San Francisco with the great Matt Mayoko, and uh, now doing my own thing. So I had enough work to send Twitter for them to, to recognize. You know who didn't have enough work, apparently, for Twitter was Al Sacco when he applied for the blue check mark they were like they just set those emojis with like the laughing and the tears coming out of their eyes they didn't even answer me they just sent that back to me so i, th- I think that was a no i think you got a middle finger as well in there I, 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 there might have been something like that too yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but no all kidding aside yeah dylan has been killing it for a while and he is a great follow and does great work and dylan this was a lot of fun to have you on definitely got to have you on again man and i, I can't wait to hear that podcast it's going to be great with you and eric Oh, man, thank you. It's a pleasure. And, and thank you guys for considering having me on for, you know, the really the first post draft. And, I, you know, Dane is, Dane is another great one that's awesome to have on your show. Um, and you guys do excellent work in the community. I think you guys are just offering a ton of great content and conversation. And I'm all about that. So, uh, so thank you, guys. Thanks, Dylan. Zane, you got anything to add, buddy? I just want to thank the fans for all of the the support, and we were going back and forth with a lot of people, a lot of great conversation after the draft or during, and during the draft on Twitter. So, just want to thank y'all for you know just your, all the support and and the questions and everything. It, it was a lot of fun. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining us for Zane Nackby and Dylan D. Simone. This is Al Sacco. We'll talk to you soon. See you.